0: i'm really proud of a 304 which is like a 703 uh average pace you know at age 41 and i look back on there and i'm like i can't even do one mile at that
1: this runs radio episode 1194 starts in three two welcome back to dis runs radio where i talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running life and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey, y'all. Real quick before we dive into today's episode of the show, today's episode is brought to you by the Concierge Coaching, which is my highest level of coaching that I offer and it's it's got all the bells and whistles that you might possibly could want to help you you know move forward in your in your running career, making progress towards your running goals, up to and including your own race day sherpa, which would be me. I show up at the race not only to support you, but to literally run with you, uh, remind you of you know keeping keeping on pace, giving you a little mid race pep talk. Hopefully maybe not needing that pep talk because everything's going uh, as well or better than we could have hoped, but just, you know, keeping you from going out too fast at the start, pushing you a little bit in the middle of the race when it starts to lag a little bit, reminding you to fuel, reminding you to hydrate, um, whatever, whatever you need from, you know, me on race day as your coach, literally I'll be right there. I'll know the plan. You don't have to worry about the plan. You just run when I tell you to run, you run as fast as I tell you to run fast, you know? Those types of things. So if that is something that might be useful for you, and of course, there's a whole lot of other bells and whistles involved with it as well, including, you know, virtual stuff in in terms of, or I guess not virtual. Yeah, virtual. You know, like we'll get on on the Zoom and we'll do some strength training. We'll do some foam rolling. We'll do things like that, uh, that that maybe, you know, maybe you struggle to do those things on your own. And and knowing that we have an appointment at such and such a time and we're going to be on camera and you're going to do it. And I might just do it with you. Uh, maybe that would help you as well. So if that's something that might be interested for you or might, that you might be interested in, disruns.com slash concierge is the link. Got all the details there in terms of what's what's included. What do you, what do you get? What do you expect? Um, costs, all those types of things are listed right there. And if it's if it's a little too fancy for you, of course, we've got other coaching options available as well. You can check those out on the webpage. But uh, disruns.com slash concierge is the link for today. If uh, that's something that might be interesting to you, let me know. Let's make it happen. I uh, would 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 be would love to uh, not only celebrate your race day uh, in the future, or race days in the future um, as your coach, but maybe run right there with you and celebrate with you right at the finish line. So disruns.com slash concierge. Check it out. Any questions, let me know. And now without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey y'all! Uh, today's guest is uh, an internal medicine doctor and also a lifestyle medicine doctor, and she's also a big believer in uh, the benefits of spending time outdoors, which I think for most of us as runners, you know, like like we we're certainly on board that bandwagon. Although, Thessaly, you gotta get off the treadmill and get outside once in a while, lady. But uh, anyway, th- lots of lots of things to talk about from that front. But on the on the running and athletic front, uh, today's guest has done three Ironman races, I believe ten Bostons, although you know that number changes most years, so I think I think we're up to date with still ten. Um, and also more than more than a few other races of all kinds of distances. So lots of things to talk about. Looking forward to a great chat today with Dr. Melissa Sunderman. Uh, Melissa, thanks for for taking the time to join us today, and and welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. I am really super psyched to be here today.
1: Yeah, looking looking forward to it. And uh, y'all, if you enjoyed today's conversation and want to Kind of follow along with with you know some of the stuff that Melissa's got going on. Uh, she's got two. She makes it different. I don't want to say she makes it difficult, but she makes it difficult. Two different Instagram handles. Mostly it makes it difficult for herself because then you got to keep up with two different Instagram handles. But uh, you can you can find her on Instagram at either at motivator melissa all one word all just like you would think it would be spelled motivator melissa, or at the Again, both on Instagram, and that's again all one word, no dashes, no underscores, no, nothing complicated, just at the and, uh, of course, we'll have that linked up in the show notes today along with photos, links, in, links to anything we talked about today. Again, her social media, we'll have it all linked up. Dizruns.com slash 1194. com slash 1194. I'll get you back to the show notes for today for all all of the things that you would expect as per usual. So, Melissa, the way we always start each episode of the show is with... Uh, a simple and straightforward question that sometimes has an easy answer and sometimes uh, not because, quite frankly, there's a lot of really good answers out there. So sometimes it's hard to pick just one. But one way or the other, it starts the conversation pretty well, and that's to simply ask, what is your, your favorite distance to race and why?
0: Uh, I will answer that by saying yes. <laughs> and the reason why <laughs> I answer that way is I've done pretty much everything. I've done 5Ks, 10Ks, 25Ks, 15Ks half marathons, marathons, 50, 25Ks, 50Ks, 50 miles. Um, haven't done 100 or yet. And you know what? I love them all. Now I must say I am 53 now and mm-hmm. the thought of uh, running a 5K all out just <laughs> really, uh, really makes me scared because my body does not tolerate speed like that anymore. So when I do 5Ks nowadays, it's when I'm pacing. I've really gotten um, a lot of joy from being a pacer. And now that I'm in my mid fifties and let's be honest, I'm not setting any other PRs nowadays. Although I did set a PR a couple of weeks ago at an 18.12 mile race because I had never done an 18.12 mile race. Um, But I really enjoy pacing and giving back and um, motivating others. Hence my Instagram handle, Motivator Melissa. So I really enjoyed all of the distances but I would categorize myself Nowadays, as a longer distance, where I can, you know, not have to get too short of breath, and I can just enjoy being out in my environment and take as long as I want. So I tend to gravitate towards, I'd say, uh, thirteen half marathons on up. So um, getting more into the endurance uh, ultra runs nowadays. I, I like the culture of that.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, especially with like I'm I'm 41, so still don't have any desire to go fast at a, at a, at a, you know, for, 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 and I feel like I've been on, on that train for, I don't know, four five six years, something like that. It's, it's, uh, I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll for some reason get, get some, you know, whatever, masochistic or sadistic or whatever, whatever the right itch is where I'll, I'll be like, well, let's, you know, let's go try it and see what happens. But, uh, yeah, no, no real desire to just hammer for for 3.1 miles because that's just you know that just hurts from oh, start yeah. to finish. Versus exactly. a marathon where it might hurt towards the end, but you at least have you know a, a few hours where it feels pretty good usually.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I um, oh, gosh, last summer my husband's company had a kickball league, and uh, he's a consultant, and and the majority of people that he works with are are much younger, and they had they needed two substitutes for this kickball league, and I'm like. I can do this. Come on. I played this in grade school. And the issue was that sometimes my brain forgets that I'm in my mid 50s. And so when I was up as the kicker, I kicked the ball and my brain automatically said sprint to first base. Well, this mid 50 year old body does not. A, I really don't sprint very often anymore. <laughs> B, if my body's not warmed up, right. I injured my hamstrings just running from home base to first, and I was like, who, who do I think I am? So yeah, nowadays, that sprinting thing, I, I have learned the hard way. My body um, just really reminds me of, puts me in my place sometimes when my brain thinks that I'm still like 20 years old.
1: Note, note to self: anybody stepping in in the kickball league, get there get there yeah. an hour early. You know, get, get you a few miles right. in, get some strides, get a few lunges, get warmed up good because uh, that that 50 foot sprint will get you if you're not careful.
0: Exactly, it got yeah. me. Yeah.
1: So um, Melissa, you know, like you said, you've you've run a lot of races, like we said, ten Boston's, and and you've done all the different mm-hmm. distances and, and kind of climbed the ladder over the over the years. Um, where'd you get started in this sport? Is it been? I mean, clearly it's not something that's you know. Brand new, brand new, but how long have you been uh, dipping your toes in the running waters?
0: Yeah, well, I actually grew up as a ballet dancer. Oh. So, all throughout high school, yeah, I went to the University of Michigan, even though I wasn't a dance major, I was pre med. I took ballet classes all through college up to um, when I had my first child, and he's now 23. So, I really was a ballet dancer. So, as we know, dancers are true athletes right Mm -hmm. we we maybe don't think of of dance as being a sport but um, really uh, the uh, endurance that you have to have and the explosiveness and the strength that you have to have so that was my foundation and it was in college that i think just to sort of stay fit i was like oh i think i'll go for a run and so i had not i think my first 5k was was during college and i was like this is kind of cool and I did a. I was dating someone at that time that was really into mountain biking, so I really got into mountain biking, and my, some of my first races were what we called. This is back in the late '80s, early '90s, called fat tire biathlon. Mm. It would now be called an off-road duathlon, but back then it was called a fat tire biathlon. And this was, you know, back when not many women were mountain biking, and so I'd show up for these races, and it would usually the format would be a, a run mountain bike run and it was on trails and there would not be many females like I was guaranteed a podium just because there were maybe only be three women there and um and I really enjoyed it and um felt like uh, you know this is something I could really uh do and so I started dabbling into it and then I tend to be a very goal oriented uh individual and I heard about the Boston Marathon and well, let me back up. Actually, my first marathon was in nineteen ninety-two. It was the Chicago Marathon. The person I was dating at the time were like, Wanna do a marathon? Yeah, that sounds good. We had no <laughs> clue what we were doing. Like we had literally just started running, but we're like, let's do a marathon. No training plan. We just knew that eventually we're gonna have to run twenty six point two miles. Uh somehow, you know, got through that marathon. And then I ended up going to medical school. And medical school, as you can imagine, was very um, time-consuming. And I still would run for exercise, but really not competitive. And when I heard about the Boston Marathon, and then I heard that, oh, you actually have to qualify for the Boston Marathon, I was like, well, I'm going to do that. And this was um, in 1995. I would be qualifying for the 1996 Boston which happened to be the 100th anniversary of the Boston Marathon. I thought, well, that would be really special. So it was during my second year of medical school. So really, really busy getting prepared for um, our first big step um, medical exam. And so I actually kind of trained um, to qualify and I was young at the time. So I think my qualifying time was at 3.30 and I was 25 at the time when I was gonna qualify. I ran the Columbus, Ohio Marathon and I qualified. So now I'm like, okay, Um, I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. And I'm actually from Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. that's where my parents are from. And it was the 100th anniversary, so my whole family came out. I had just gotten married to my husband, and so we bought all the souvenirs. Like, I had the Boston Marathon jacket, the hat, the poster, the, you know, T-shirt, everything. And because it was really busy time during medical school. I barely trained for the Boston marathon that year, but all I wanted to do was run it. So I ran with a disposable camera because this was before cell phones were there. Right. And I just took, you know, these photos on my disposable camera the whole way. And it was just an incredible experience. And I was like, Oh, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Boston is just a special, special place. So I, long, long answer to, I didn't take up running until probably, um, you know, my twenties and, um, and it just became such a, a special relationship for me. Not only did it provide, you know, physical activity, but so much camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And some of my best friends are my running friends, because as you know, the conversations mm. that go on during a run and the connection and how open and vulnerable you are and then to go to events together. And it really has been just one of the, the best gifts of my life, um, is to, to become a runner and, uh, be a part of the running community.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, um, especially if you have that, that, whether it's one person or a group or whatever, but, but you're pretty consistently running together over the years. Like, yeah, there's, there's, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bonds that get formed and, and, you know, like you can't, you can't, for lack of a better way to say it, you can't be fake. You can't be like, you're, you're, you're true. You're authentic over the course of years of just grinding out the miles. Like it's, you know, they they know you who, for who you are, you know them for who they are. And, and, you know, if you're going to keep running together, you must be able to get along pretty well at that point.
0: Yeah. And really running for me is kind of like, you know, it um, parallels life, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's runs that, you feel great and you're like god this is just awesome i've got everything together i'm just in sync my breathing feels good my lungs feel great my legs are strong and a lot of times in life you might feel like that i got you know i've got my shit together like life is good Mm -hmm. and then there's runs where you're like what the heck's going on like i my heart rate is super high I just, you know, I feel like crap. I like have no energy. I'm going to bonk. And you're like, okay, I got to I got to keep moving forward. Like, I can do this. Like, mind over matter. Like, let me see. This is this is really tough right now, but I'm going to try to keep go, keep moving forward and, you know, like life. Like there's just some really tough spots. And I'm in my mid 50s and there's been some really challenging times and you think, okay, this is really really tough right now, but I'm going to try to keep moving forward. So there's just a lot of parallels between my experiences with running and my experiences in life.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, and one of these days I'm going to actually get around and people have heard this, you know, mentioned for years now. Uh, I'm working on a book loosely working uh-huh. on a book called Marathons yeah. and Metaphors. And it's, it's the same type of thing of just all the the life lessons from running and, and, and just kind of some of those parallels. And um, yeah, someday yeah. I'll, I'll take it serious and actually get it done. But, uh, like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and for me, you know, like, like you are talking about, you know, some days everything just kind of clicks. It's like the secret is figuring out how to make it click because sometimes it feels like you do everything right, whether it's training, whether it's getting plenty of sleep, fuel, whatever, and like, it's not right. And then, yeah. you know, it feels like sometimes at times that you're like, you're up, up late and you have a few, a few drinks and then you get up in the morning and you're just like, let's, let's go baby. And you're like, where did this all come from? And like, I did everything wrong. And yet, here we go. Just out there cruising today. Exactly. Um, so, so Boston it was kind of the, that was the race that, that hooked you. You've been back, uh, you know, like I said, several times, I think, think nine, nine additional times. Yeah, since then. I, um,
0: yeah, so I've done 10 Bostons and I'm running my 11th, uh, this April.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned kind of being from that area, it's kind of a hometown race. Is, is that the draw for you? Or is there, is there some other reason or a, an additional reason that, uh, that Boston such a special race for you?
0: Well, I think it was the original draw right and um, but now you know it's just the the spirit, the energy, the positivity when you starting you know when you're training for it and you qualify, and right now we're at the um, the juncture of We've submitted our times mm-hmm. so for everyone who's qualified, and now everyone is waiting to see what the cutoff is, right? right? Because not not only do you have to qualify for Boston, but then they figure out how many applications, and there's usually a cutoff. Like if you didn't beat your qualifying time by two minutes or three minutes, and so this whole community, we're so invested in this. So now I think tomorrow we might be finding out if we actually got into Boston. So then it's the training, and the preparation, and and you know when you get on that plane to come to Boston and you see the other runners and. Everyone's all excited. And then you come to the city and the entire city. I'm getting chills just talking about it um, is just so supportive of the event, the marathon, the runners and the history behind it. Right. It's just there's so much iconic history. And actually, a fun fact, um, Greg Meyer, who won the Boston Marathon um, Several years ago, uh, he is from Michigan, and I used to babysit his kids, so Mm -hmm. it's really fun. He's usually one of the announcers there, and so when I go to run Boston, he's usually with all the elites, but um, he's kind enough to still give me a hug, and I always get a picture with him because he he definitely is from that elite class. So it's just uh, a time where, you know, amateur runners like myself – Uh, up to the elites like Desi and, you know, Mo, you'll see each other on the streets and everyone's high-fiving each Mm -hmm. other. And there's just nothing like it. And, and every year, you know, I always say if someone's running their first Boston, I'm like, you have to get the jacket, you have to get the jacket. And so I've collected and I still have all my jackets, including my first one from 1996, which is, I mean, I'm a petite person and this thing, I put it on and it's like, it's when everything was extra, extra large, like mm-hmm. that's just the yeah. fashion. Right. And it's just Adidas like cloth, like it is not technical fabric at all, but it's just really, really special. So there's there's just so many traditions um, involved in Boston. And just the fact that it's point to point and you get on the bus in the morning and, you know, it's it's a tough race on mm-hmm. so many um uh in so many ways because one the the race is mid-april which uh i spend my time between michigan and massachusetts and there's not you know training in january (laughs) in those winter climates Mm -hmm. (laughs) it can be really challenging so it's a tough race to train for if you experience all four seasons and then um you know the point point so you have to be uh, bust out to Hoppington which is a really cool experience because everyone's on the bus and they meet each other and all the nervous chatter and you know people talking about advice and it's a later start than most races right so uh, the pros go you know in the morning but then the uh, amateurs will go later so it's sometimes you're not starting until 10 10:30, which how do you fuel for that and your body gets kind of stiff so there's a, and then the course itself of course is very challenging because of all the downhills in the beginning and then um, when you get to the Newton Hills um, later in so a lot of challenges. It's not easy by any stretch of the means, and then the crowd support the entire way is just amazing and uh palpable energy all 26.2 miles.
1: Yeah, um, Boston is is definitely one of my my big goals in in terms of I I, I mean I guess probably qualifying for it as much as anything else. But I, I want to go run the race and. In, in, uh, you know, the, the, the joke, but the, the truth behind the joke is it's got to get a little bit older and a little bit faster. And, you know, eventually I'm,
0: um... I was just going to say, and if you're female, like, you know, it, it gets even easier. So yeah. that's what I say. Yeah. It's like, as long as I keep getting older, I'll be fine. Uh, I think, I think, one I, of these, think like, I
1: can't remember if it, I think it's 45. Uh, isn't that when you get it, like it jumps by 10 minutes. So then it's like, then it starts to really come into focus a little bit more. But...
0: Yeah. Well, I I'll age up this year. So I do get an extra 10 minutes, yeah. which, you know, it sounds so luxurious until then you're like, paces that seem so easy for me <laughs> right, right. i'm like i think my garment's a little bit off because i'm working hard and yet i'm doing a pace that used to be like roll out of the bed kind mm-hmm. of pace for me so they put those they adjust those qualification times for a reason
1: right well but i i, I totally agree but at the same time i'm still going to convince myself just a little bit faster oh, and a oh absolutely bit older. that's that's absolutely. the key um, <laughs> but, but all that to say uh my my loose plan you know subject to change but when i when i finally get there but my loose plan is to to not worry about pace on on race day at Boston at all, I, I will not finish ahead of my big yeah. number. I can I can guarantee you that I'm going to take <laughs> my time. I'm going to you know grab a, yeah. a a brat with somebody and wherever and a, and a beer somewhere and whatever whatever people yeah. are handing out and just and we're just going to soak it all in. Um, but for you having run it you know ten times gearing up for eleven, um, do do you race it hard? Do you run it easy? Have you done a little bit of both? What's what's your kind of standard strategy?
0: Yeah, um, I've experienced some by choice, some not by choice, uh, so many different experiences. The first one was absolutely, I am just here with my disposable camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just the whole thing. And um, and then it probably took me my first couple of Bostons to really learn how to run the course because there is about the first six miles are downhill. Mm-hmm. And when you have all of that um, adrenaline and the crowd and you're so excited for Boston and it's downhill you're like oh my god I am killing this like right. I am going so much faster than I thought I could go <laughs> and then by like mile 15 your quads go what the heck were you mm-hmm. trying to do because if you didn't train going downhill Um, Or if you went out too fast, which is a very common, you know, rookie mistake, you, your quads will definitely be paying for that. And then you hit mile, you know, 17 at the Newton Hills and it's really, really challenging. So what I learned is that on Boston, like I... Decide what my pace is going to be, and I'm honest with that. Even mm-hmm. when people are passing me, and even when I feel like I could go faster, it's like, okay, hold back. You know, just stick stick to your race plan. Um, even though you feel like you're doing great right now, you know, don't push it faster. And then I also, um, when I was seriously training for Boston and at my prime, whatever that is, because I've never been a pro runner. Um, <laughs> is that I would train downhills. Like I would find an area where I lived where there was a net downhill that was close to a mile long. And so I would actually do my um, my fast pace going down the hill and then recover coming back up. So really getting my body used to and my quads used to the downhill. So I think it took me several Bostons to learn that. Um, I set a PR. My marathon PR was actually set at Boston, uh, which I'm super proud of because not many people have PRs at Boston because of the course. But I was um, 41 and that was kind of my prime for everything. That's when I was training really seriously. That's when I was doing my Ironman triathlons. Um, So I had a lot of volume. I was doing a lot of cross training, which is I'm learning is really important for running um, and so I ran a 304 uh, at Boston my goal was trying to get sub three hour um, and it didn't happen which I'm no. totally fine with because I'm really proud of a 304 which is like a 703 uh, average pace you know at age 41 and I look back on there and I'm like I can't even do one mile at that um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had um, a friend of mine who is an excellent runner his name is Hank. And he said, you know what? I am going to, like, I'm not going to race um, Boston. I know you have big goals, Melissa. I'm going to, like, basically be your rabbit and your Sherpa. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's awesome. And so this was, like, a 304 for him was, like, a, an easy pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were doing great. And then I hit about mile twenty twenty one, and that's when, like, the pain cave just mm-hmm came in and it was a, it was a hot day. And so I had just had a sports bra on and a friend of mine wrote my name on my, my stomach. And so the crowds like last five miles, that's all I focused on is Mm -hmm. everyone yelling my name and Hank was great. And he was, would go get me my water or my Gatorade and bring it to me. So I wasn't having to uh, navigate the crowds. I could just stay straight. And, and it was, it was probably the, the biggest pain cave I've ever entered of like, I would do, I, all I did was look forward, like could not, it was like tunnel vision <laughs> and, um, hit that, that PR, um, which was great. And I'm super proud of it. So that was a really challenging time. And then the, the mo another really, really challenging for a different reason. And it was a different kind of grit was in 20, um, let's see, covid canceled 2020 mm-hmm. so for the first time ever boston instead of being in april was um in 2020 was in october right and yeah. i have struggled on and off with a high hamstring tendinopathy for anyone who has it uh, my heart goes out to you because it's just <laughs> this plague recurrent mm-hmm. chronic injury that rears its ugly head every once in a while and it reared its head about a a month before Boston and I was trying to rehab it and it just wasn't going well, but I was like, darn it. I'm still gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go. And so I was out there with a friend and thank goodness she had already qualified for Boston. So she was able to run Boston and not caring about her time. And the goal was for me to get a qualifying time and she said, I'm gonna stick with you, you know? And I said, Oh, okay, we'll see how this goes. I'm injured right now, but I'm going to go for it. Well, at about, let's see, it was mile seven. My hamstring totally seized and I actually mm. fell like just mm. splat on the concrete, like, <laughs> ugly, ugly and got up and um, was like, Christine, I, I, I can't run. And she she's like, I said, like, go, just go ahead. I'm not I'm going to have to walk this. And uh, she said, no, I'm not leaving your side. I'm like, please leave me. Like, I just, this is going to be really um, hard and pathetic. And again, I had my name written on my tummy. So everyone's like, oh, Melissa, <laughs> and you're doing great. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, you know, I thought about quitting because I was like, this is going to be horrible. Like, I'm going to, you know, It's going to be painful to have to, I could kind of jog, but it was a walk jog. And I still have 19 miles to go. (laughs) This is not just towards the finish line. And she said, nope, I'm going to stick with you. And so every once in a while, she'd prod me and we'd jog just for, you know, 100 meters. And then I'd have to walk again. And, you know, I was crying during parts of it and laughing about the situation at other times. And it really was a check on my ego of like, why are you here? Right? Mm. Are you here? you know, just in, in really being honest with the privilege that people would like die to be running Boston right now. And here here you are, you are running Boston. You're an athlete. You're out here. Things haven't gone your way, but respect this privilege and you finish this race. So (laughs) 19 miles later, um, Christine stayed by my side the entire time. Like that is you know, she's one of my closest friends, and and that really sealed the deal there. And I I never really buy race photos. This is the one race photo that I bought, and it's as we cross the finish line, I just start bawling. Mm. And she, the picture is her coming to give me, embracing me in a hug. You know, and and it was just about the spirit of the marathon right. of like you don't give up, right? You keep moving forward, even though this isn't what you wanted. This is like your worst time ever, you know? And, but, um, I did it and it was one of the most proud as much as I'm proud of my PRs. It's like, I'm proud of myself for not just saying, Hey, nope, I'm done. Like I, you know, this is going to be really slow and um, embarrassing, not embarrassing. It's not because I I didn't give up, but, um, that the, the, finish line photo says it all. So those are, those are couple marathon memories that stick out in my mind.
1: Uh, for sure. And, and I can, I can only, I guess I can, I can only agree. I can only imagine whatever the right way of saying it is that, that that would be one of the most proud moments because I, I know for me, and, and, and I'm curious if, if maybe I'm the only one, I'm, hopefully I'm not the only one, but maybe, maybe this isn't something that you struggle with Melissa, but like on a good day, you know, on your, on your 304 day or on any of the PRs that mm-hmm. I have, it's always easy to look at it and go, all right, well, that was really good. But you know, I, I could have I yeah. could have cut this, this tangent a little bit better or I stopped to tie my shoe if my damn shoe wouldn't have come untied or whatever. It would've mm-hmm. would saved me twelve seconds or fourteen seconds <laughs> or whatever it was. Um but on a day when every like, you know, for, for that day, hamstrings all, all messed up yeah. and it's it's a struggle bus for, you know, three quarters of the yeah. race. Um yeah. would have been real easy to, to, to pack it in at any point and the pride of like like you said, sticking through it and, and grinding yep. it out, um you know I, for me, I would find it way less hard, or way less hard. Way, way, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be nitpicking myself nearly as much. Like I, yeah, I stuck it out versus exactly. you know, I could have done a little better here or there.
0: Right, right, yeah. That 3:04, I actually had to, I had to use the bathroom twice, so right. it is. I went through it. I'm like, God, if I didn't have to go to the bathroom those two times, I, I could have broken three yeah, hours. Ah, is- oh, man, you know, or like. So I totally get what you mean. And and the funny thing, or the the thing that so curious is that, you know, that race, I was like, oh my God, I can't, Im- I, as soon as I cross that finish line, it's all I wanted is, it's just horrible. And one of our rituals when we run Boston is we love the Fairmont Copley Place, and sometimes we stay there, sometimes not, but that's where all the elites stay, and they have this wonderful um, bar. It's called, um, I think, the Oak Room, and it's just really cool. And so that's our routine. It's like after um, post um, Boston Marathon, we go there after we've showered, and we have drinks and get snacks. And so we did that. And as I'm sitting there, you know, I say to Christine. That was such an awesome day. Oh yeah. my god, that was an incredible experience because I like, and I think it was. It was just like I persevered. I didn't give up. And now that I've like collected myself and showered, like I'm just really proud and happy and grateful for the opportunity. And let's sign up again. You
1: right. know. <laughs> right. So um, yeah. my my background for those that don't know, and, and I'm sure you're, count you among them, Melissa, is, is in athletic training, sports medicine, that type of thing. So I can't, mm-hmm. I can't hear a running injury story and then just kind of gloss on through it. So you, you grind it out, you know, you finished the yeah. 19, 19 ish miles of, of Boston with a, with a pretty jacked up hamstring that you knew was not yeah. great going into it anyway. Yeah. Um, how, how long did it take to get back to, to smooth sailing after that race?
0: Yeah, you know, it was, <laughs> way longer than I wanted it to be right (laughs) and of course and running to me I I call it my religion right it's such an important part of my um daily life my health and well-being my social life and the thought of like what if I can't run again Mm -hmm. what if I and, and there was you know like after that I was like oh my god like this is horrible what if i can't run again and so i was really being dedicated with my um pt and they actually did um dry needling e mm-hmm. eccentric you know strength and little by little it you know miraculously got better and i think because i was needed to be patient with it right. because it was really bad because other times like when you kind of have an injury <laughs> you tend to push through it and you don't do exactly the rehab that you need like this. I didn't have a choice right. because it really was bad. And, um, and I witnessed that I didn't want to have to walk 19 miles in a, in a marathon again. So I did it the right way. I did what I was supposed to do. I was a good patient and, um and knock on wood since 2020, I have not even had a tinge of that oh. high hamstring tendinopathy. So maybe, you know, it paid the price to do it. I'm also a lot smarter. Like I said, like, speed workout for me, I can do like fart legs, I can do like tempo, Mm -hmm. but it's not worth it to me to go out to a track and do some 200s and then like rip myself to shreds. Like it's just, I maybe could get faster doing that, but the long run, no pun intended, is like, I just want to keep, I just want to be able to run. Like that's my ultimate goal. And um, if if I don't hit my potential anymore of you know what I can do, I'm okay with that. I just, it's not worth it to me to do these hard track workouts and yeah. you know to gain a little bit only to to get injured well and, and
1: as a as a heart rate training devotee myself um mm-hmm. you know I, I there's a time and a place to go hard but but like you said you can do it in a fartlek like you can do it in tempo run you can yeah. do it in a longer repeat yeah. where it's 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 still hard but it's not yeah top end hard and oh by the way you'll still maintain speed you still might even get a little bit faster by improving the, the overall engine versus just the top end so yeah yeah staying, staying healthy sure. that's that's to me you know for, again for whatever it's, it's worth and not that i need to tell you you've been running for 30 years you know these things but like mm. you know avoiding those major injuries that sideline you for months and 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 longer right. um, if you can avoid right. that like you're going to be better off than some little peak that becomes a, a crash and now you've got to rebuild all the fitness that you lose from being out from an injury for forever
0: yeah, and like I said, like, this is a huge part of my social life. Like, I've always been a full-time worker, so I've, like, never done anything wrong with it, but I've never been, like, a lady who lunches, right? So um, I I worked, and so my my social life, a large part of it are my my group runs on Saturday mornings and early morning runs with my friends. Like, it really, um, I don't want to say it defines me, but it's pretty darn close, that that's, and it's really – for mental health for me, um, I run in the mornings early just because it works best with my um, work schedule and my kids are now out of the house. They're out of college, in fact. Um, but it just, it's a very like an active meditation for me. And I think, it's you know, we, I think we're all on a spectrum of like whether you fall more towards anxiety or more towards depression, I'm definitely con- Fall more towards anxiety, and I think that it's for me, it's really good for my mental health. Um, and as doctor outdoors, just getting that fresh air first thing in the morning, witnessing beautiful, awe inspiring sunrises, and um, so that's I know that that is what my body and my mind really craves, and so I want to be able to keep doing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I've uh, may or may not have been told by a certain wife of mine that you know, like. I'm a better person when I go run, you know. It's a more story. Um for for all of those reasons and so so yeah, like part of part of staying healthy is so I can keep running but also so that I can, you know, Keep happily married and and things like that because yeah. nobody nobody wants to see me on the shelf for a year um and right. I don't want to see me on the right. shelf for a year no oh Lord, exactly no fun for anyone so um yeah. shifting gears a little bit you you bring up the you know being doctor outdoors and 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 mm-hmm. I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the 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 professional life and, and and certainly you know kind of where where the 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 medicine side and and how the running kind of overlap a little bit. Um, yeah. but, but this, this term, and I've heard this a couple times, Doc, Dr. Amy was on the show a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I think she's the one who connected us. Um, she's yeah. got the lifestyle medicine label as well. And, and, yeah. um, I feel like I've, I've heard it a few places probably cause I got, you know, connected with y'all on social media. So the algorithm is feeding me all the, the, the lifestyle medicine, uh, doctors and, and, and folks, but, right. um, I kind of feel like that's one of those terms that like, I kind of feel like I know what it means, but also I have mm-hmm. no idea what, what does that mean? So, so, you know, yeah. from, from a big picture kind of definition and we'll zoom in as we go. What is lifestyle medicine?
0: Yeah. So I'll just start off just with a little bit about my background. So I am a physician. I've been practicing medicine for 25 years. And when I went to medical school, um, I went to medical school and then my residency, I did a residency in internal medicine. So internal medicine, we do both primary care. We take care of patients in the hospital and I've done you know, a little bit of both all these um, 25 years I also have done some training in integrative medicine and also in mind-body medicine. So really, my um, I'm a strong believer in practicing what you preach. And if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. So I always feel like I want to be aligned with my personal life and my professional life. And in practicing medicine... Um, being trained, um, I am a DO, so that's Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, so we're trained a little bit more holistically thinking, mm-hmm. but it's still a conventional medicine training, is that I really felt the need to learn more about what healing and wellness truly encompass, and that's more than pills and procedures. And then when I looked at my own well-being, I knew that, well, it's not pill, I don't take any medication, so it's not pills that are keeping me healthy. What is it? And it's all of these other lifestyle factors. So in 2018, when my kids were heading off to college and I felt like I had a little bit more time professionally to to pursue additional training or a fellowship, I came across the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine has been around for over a decade. And currently there's about 11,000 members um, worldwide that are members of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and about 4,000 physicians like Dr. Amy Commander, who you had on, Mm -hmm. who are board certified in lifestyle medicine. And lifestyle medicine really acknowledges that 80 to 90% of our chronic diseases, so chronic diseases being high cholesterol, high blood pressure, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, chronic kidney disease, maybe even dementia, are highly related to our lifestyle behaviors. So we are um, evidence-based and we use evidence-based medicine to not only prevent chronic disease, but also treat chronic Mm -hmm. disease and even reverse chronic disease. Mm -hmm. So many people are not aware that type 2 diabetes and blood pressure issues and cholesterol issues can sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, be reversed Mm -hmm. by optimizing your lifestyle behaviors. So there are six official pillars of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And those six pillars are number one, food, dietary patterns. And Hippocrates, who's the father of medicine, said many centuries ago, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And I'm pretty sure that Hippocrates was not talking about McDonald's and Burger King. <laughs> Don't want to badmouth those, but you know. He- realize the connection between what we put into our mouth um, that can lead to either healing or disease and so as lifestyle medicine um, what the evidence does support is a a more plant forward or plant strong dietary pattern is going to be really beneficial so really trying to get a lot of fruits and vegetables and beans and whole grains and nuts and seeds into your dietary pattern and it's not that you have to be plant exclusive mm-hmm. but you just want to do more of the good stuff the second pillar is exercise. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm counseling my patients, I tend to use the term movement rather than exercise Mm -hmm. for you and I, like if we say, do you like to exercise? Oh, heck yeah. (laughs) You know, it's my drug of choice. Oh, absolutely. But for many people, the term exercise sounds like something that's really painful, Mm -hmm. something that's punishment, something that's boring, something that they're not good at, and a picture that they have to go to a gym and get on a treadmill or an elliptical or lift heavy weights. And yep, those are some forms of exercise. But we talk about movement. I'm like, what do you like to do? Oh, man, I picked up pickleball. Absolutely love it. Well, that's movement. You know what, I just love to go for long hikes and go bird watching. That's movement. I love to get in the pool and just swim less. So just really um, making that Um, uh, just more open and inclusive by using the term movement. Uh, The third pillar is sleep and sleep is truly a superpower. Those of us who've heard the term, I'll sleep when I'm dead, that is just (laughs) not good advice. Um, We're learning more and more about what happens when we sleep, and it's not just that we get to have really funky dreams, it's that there's a lot of healing and detoxification. So we really advocate for aiming to get at least seven hours of restorative sleep a night. The fourth pillar is the avoidance of risky substances such as tobacco use, excessive alcohol and drug use. The fifth pillar is stress management and we all have stress in our life. There is no pill to take that away but what we do have are stress management tools and like I said, I did training in mind-body medicine so that's mindfulness and meditation. So really using modalities such as meditation, mindfulness, deep breathing, yoga, tai chi, Qigong to learn to to best manage stress. So you build up your stress tool toolbox. And the sixth official pillar is social connection. Mm. Now, this does not mean that you need to be the life of the party and dancing on tables. Um, (laughs) This means that you need to have a tribe. And actually, our current Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, this is his platform. We have studies to show that loneliness and isolation actually not only increases risks of brain health, dementia, but also increased risk of mortality. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this is really detrimental to our health. And I think we all felt that during the lockdown. This was like one of the biggest social psychology experiments where we couldn't be with other people. And we all felt this void, like something was missing. And that's that role of social connection. So whether you are you have connection to friends or family or work colleagues or running buddies or your pets or places of worship, that we all need that, that social connection. And then the seventh pillar. Well, I call this the unofficial pillar. Mm. I am working very hard at a national level to make it a, an official pillar, and that is daily exposure to nature and fresh air. Mm. And so, my medical degree, I said, was a DO, Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, but equally importantly, it stands for Doctor Outdoors. And I am a fierce advocate of the power of nature, and we have the evidence to support it that getting outdoors for at least 20 minutes per day. And you can split that up. You could do 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening. 20 minutes per day can boost our immune system by elevating our natural killer cell activity. It can reduce cortisol levels. We know that we need to have some cortisol um, in our in our body, but chronic elevated cortisol levels are a stress hormone. It can increase the risk of obesity and insulin resistance and heart disease, autoimmune disorders. So being outdoors reduces cortisol levels. Also... Reduces, uh, lowers blood pressure and heart rate. It can boost serotonin levels. It can elevate our mood. So, we have true science to now support the role of going outdoors. And, you know, this, this theory of, of nature being uh, good for us has been a long, around for a long time. In fact, coming back to Hippocrates, one of his quotes is the physician treats, but nature heals. Mm. So again, well before, you know, we've been on this planet, um, a very smart physician already knew these keys to health. And the the EPA actually did a study several years ago looking at Americans, and the average American only spends about 7% of their day outdoors. The rest of that 93% of time is spent inside buildings. Mm -hmm. So our houses, our workplaces, our schools, stores and automobiles mm-hmm. so we're not getting outdoors and quite frankly you know a lot of people don't realize the benefits of that mm-hmm. and so that as Dr. Outdoors I'm really advocating and educating and empowering people just to get outdoors 20 minutes per day um, to, to get all of those health and well-being benefits. Right
1: well in and, and- you know, all of the benefits of being outdoors. Like if you, if you stop and think about it, whatever your belief system is, we've been on the planet for 7,000 years or a couple hundred thousand years, one way or the other. Um, the vast majority of those years, we were outdoors all yeah. you know, like, Absolutely. like sleeping in a cave. I mean, that kind of counts as outdoors, but other than that, you're outdoors <laughs> the whole rest of the time working, the right? fields, doing hunting and gathering, whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, so I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that our wiring is, is going to be like, This is this is home, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, like like to our to our our core being like like outside is is natural versus inside is is clearly not.
0: Yeah, we're genetically programmed. In fact, there's the term biophilia. And this term was coined by Eric Fromm. uh, Originally, he's a social psychologist. And then most of us are uh, familiar with biophilia and its principles through E.O. Wilson a very prolific writer on biophilia and biophilia is truly the innate connection between all living things like we ourselves we are nature right Mm -hmm. we are a living creature and we we knew this like think about when we were growing up as kids I mean at least growing up in kids when I was in the 70s like we wanted to be outdoors, right. right? We had this curiosity. We wanted to discover, we wanted to play in dirt, dig in dirt, find worms, climb in trees, <laughs> build tree forts, catch fireflies, go look for caterpillars. Like we, that's just what we wanted to do. Like it was, we were programmed to do that. And as we get older, unfortunately we've gotten away from that. And if you look at kids today, they grow up in a very different society where going outdoors, you know, is not the first line. It's like getting on screens and playing video games. And, you know, maybe it's not as safe as it was when we grew up um, and the accessibility. Um, So really we are genetically programmed to be connected with nature and our surroundings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, bringing it back to running a little bit. I mean, I, I, like, I hear you say 20 minutes a day outdoors and I'm like, like, you know, it's the running bias of me, right? It's like 20 minutes a day. Like, (laughs) Like that's that's easy peasy. Like that's that's yeah, a quarter of my yeah. my morning runner. You know, a third of my morning run. I run for about an hour most right. mornings. Like that's that's no yeah. big deal. But um, but yeah, for so many folks, like twenty minutes is like yeah. is a commit? And and I guess I can say, you know, for so many folks, twenty minutes is commitment. Like like five minutes a day on the foam roller for me, that's a commitment. Like like so, I guess twenty minutes yeah. outside. Like if you're not used to it, like that's that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's just that um, you know, I just. try to give presentations and like podcast interviews like this and I speak at at conferences of just making people aware of this in fact I I gave a uh, nature's medicine talk at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine annual conference about a year ago we had 2,000 people and I opened the talk I think the talk was at about 10 a.m. and I opened the talk Uh, in front of these 2,000 people with two questions, and they're mostly clinicians, so physicians and nurses Mm -hmm. and pharmacists and psychologists and physical therapists and nutritionists. And I said, number one question, who today has already purposely gone outdoors? And I'm not talking like parking in the parking lot and walking from your car to this or coming from your hotel room and coming over here. Like, who has made it a point to be outdoors? Few hands go up. Okay, second question for those of you who are forward facing to clients, patients, um, individuals, who is prescribing nature? Mm. Few hands go up. And I said, okay, by the end of this talk, we're going to ask those questions again and i want everyone's hands raised so really trying to advocate for nature prescribing um for clinicians and there are some um, good there's good movements um all over the world um of social prescribing and really thinking about you know healthcare providers just like prescribing a medication just like prescribing exercise or eating healthier to prescribe nature
1: for for I mean, I'll just say myself, but for anybody else that's listening as well, that's, that's going, gosh, this sounds, this sounds great. Where do where do I find a doctor that's, that's on board with this type of, of advice? Because, and, and not to try to throw the medical profession under the bus, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, so, so here's, here's my embarrassing story of the day. Um, You know, like I said earlier, I'm 41 years old. I haven't seen the same mm-hmm. doctor since I saw my you know pediatrician when I like the same doctor multiple times. I have no doctor relationship yeah. over the last, the last 20 odd years or whatever the number exactly yeah. has been um in part because and, and this is my whatever bias that, that it is like like i don't want to go to somebody who's just like all right everything's good and if something goes wrong like here's a prescription you know for, to make yeah. it as simple as yeah. possible and i've looked at trying to find an integrative doctor before because i've read mm-hmm. books on that and i'm like god this sounds this yeah. sounds like my kind of, of medicine and i've never lived in an area where there's been one locally um so for looking for a, a lifestyle medicine doctor yeah. are there resources yeah. to find them
0: There are, so I'll start with it's, um, I hear your frustration and, you know, and coming from um, a clinical background of being in conventional medicine for several decades, it's frustrating on the clinician part too, right? right? Right. First of all, physicians, and it's changing slowly, we're not trained in these pillars of lifestyle medicine, Uh right? The average doctor between four years of uh, medical school, three plus years of residency, the average nutrition training is about 17 hours total, total. And that's really not practical nutrition. That's more about biochemistry. Mm. That's more about like how do you manage tube feedings in the ICU? Not practical. So we're not trained in Mm. what true nutrition is. Two, we're not really trained on what exercise is, right? I only knew it because I did it myself. So a lot of these lifestyle pillars we're not physicians are not trained like this. And then the medical system, the way it is, and it's it's broken. It's mm-hmm. quite frankly, it's broken right now, whereas a primary care provider, a PCP, you know, my schedule would be packed with sixteen to eighteen patients every day. Like I I was really given twenty minutes, you know, per patient, and to really get into these lifestyle medicine pillars and really learn about life about my patient and hear their story and their lifestyle behaviors. Gosh, yeah, it's really hard to do in twenty minutes, right? So the, impossible. They, I the, yeah. So the system, you know, does not support that. Now, I have been fortunate to seek out opportunities where I can practice lifestyle medicine. Um, you know, on a um, more consistent basis and it's it's so rewarding for myself as a as a clinician because I feel like I can truly give tools to help my patients and it's so satisfying on the patient because they're like oh my gosh mm-hmm. like this is true prevention. Now, in conventional medicine, what we consider prevention a lot of times is really just early detection. Did you get your mammogram? Did you have your pap smear? Did you get your colonoscopy? Um, Have you had your PSA checked? Well, that's early detection. And lifestyle medicine is really about going even more downstream of addressing true prevention, right, before disease can even start. It's one thing we need to detect it if there's disease there, and then we need to work on fixing it. But let's start more downstream. So, looking for lifestyle medicine physicians, the way you would know that they are board certified, and that's really important because we do go through a rigorous board exam. We have to do um, modules for training. We have to attend CME, so there is a whole process. It's not like we just say, Mm -hmm. you know, put the name in front of there, which some people would maybe claim that what you want to look for. Letters after the name, they'll usually have their degree, like MD or DO. But then if they are board-certified in lifestyle medicine, they will have the initials. It stands for Diplomat, D-I-P, and then, and then capital letters A, B as in boy, L as in lifestyle, M is in medicine. So it stands for the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. So D-I-P, ABLM, And that way you know that they're board-certified in lifestyle medicine. Um, so if you just search maybe your area and you go, you know, Boston, lifestyle medicine physician. And then you look for that, you know, dip. ABLM, mm-hmm. then you will know that they're board certified in lifestyle medicine. Now remember, there's only about 4,000 of us right. out there right now. Now every year the, the board exam is offered, we get more and more physicians who are becoming board certified. So our numbers are growing, which is wonderful. And we have nurse practitioners and PAs who also are board certified in lifestyle and medicine and are excellent and can and do a great job of caring for patients as well. So I think if you can find a, you know, if insurance you probably have to list a PCP, but then if you could find find also a PA or an NP mm-hmm. that is sports certified in lifestyle medicine. That can be really helpful.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's, like I said, I mean, that's, that's, that's prevention is my, my kind of game and from from my, yeah. my training days, you know, it's like, let's, let's prevent the injury before we, we, right. we have to treat the injury. It's, it's easier. It's, it's less painful. It's, you know, from a medicine per, or from a cost perspective, it's cheaper. Um, So yeah, that's always just been a frustration of mine. So thank you for, for sharing that, Melissa. And, and uh, mm-hmm. again, you know, the, the, the more folks, that are uh, you know the more the more clinicians that become certified and, and are out there uh, as far as i'm concerned the better i mean not that not that my yeah. opinion matters at all but that's that's uh hopefully a, a massive step forward for us in and in, in terms of just you know taking care of our people and taking care of ourselves because it's it's needed i think is is Yeah the real the story. absolutely
0: and i will say this it in my experience people who become born certified in lifestyle medicine they're not faking it meaning right. They live this life themselves. We're gearing up to have our annual conference. It's going to be in Denver um, the end of October. And you'll see 2,000 people. And you will never see a group of 2,000 people as healthy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and full of vitality as these um, individuals who are board-certified in lifestyle medicine because it's all about practicing what you preach. And not only advocating for a life of longevity, but also a life of vitality and increasing our well span, not just our lifespan. Yeah. And so it's been um, a tremendous gift. Um, running has been a great gift. Um, lifestyle medicine is a wonderful gift. My family, of course, uh, the most wonderful gift mm-hmm. and my friends, but um, really professionally, lifestyle medicine. Um, I'm so grateful to be um, a member of American College of Lifestyle Medicine and have colleagues like Dr. Amy Commander and so many that just might make my life richer.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one final question for you. I feel like I, as is often the case, I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. We, so many things <laughs> we wanted to get to and, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll do this again at some point down the road, but one final question, call it the philosophical question, which is basically just a fancy way of saying it's like the introductory question, open-ended, um, a little bit more generic, although I think I might make this one a little bit more um, specific to, to what we talked about today. Um, and forgive me if this is a fumbly question, cause I'm trying to work it out in my head on the fly here, but um, from a, from a lifestyle medicine physician perspective. Um, mm-hmm. obviously you're talking to a bunch of, 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 runners. I don't think anybody that's, that's made it to this point or even to probably press play on the, on the show is not really a runner, right? Like, like you're not going to tune into a running podcast if you could care less about running. So, um, you know, we're, we're into, into movement. We're into, to, to getting our, our time on our feet and training for races and things like that. Um, I kind of fi- have a feeling I might know where you're going for this, but from a lifestyle medicine pr- perspective, What is the one or two most important things that we as runners can do? Assuming, again, that we kind of got the the, the movement piece relatively taken Mm -hmm. care of. We probably got the outdoor piece for the most part taken care of. But Mm -hmm. the other five pillars, what's what I mean, all important, but what's one or two that like we really should focus on is these are the things that are going to make the most bang for our buck running wise. And again, longevity overall health wise as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I will say, I use this analogy, and I'm also a biker, Rick. Right? I have mountain bike. I've done the Ironman. And if you picture a bike and the spokes on the wheel, right? And um, if you've ever been biking and one of your spokes breaks, it's not a good thing. <laughs> I haven't had a time to, my, to myself, and my husband has, and n- not good. The the wheel does not revolve how it should. That's how I think about the pillars of lifestyle mm-hmm. medicine. They are all Intricately important, and they all build off of each other. If one of those is like really struggling, the whole wheel is Mm going to struggle. So, knowing that they all play off of each other like, if you're getting crappy sleep and you're not sleeping well and you're staying up too late and your sleep cycle's off, guess what? You're probably going to be like eating unhealthy, it's going to increase your risk for like probably you know, reaching for unhealthy foods or fast foods or comfort foods. And you're just not going to have good energy or good recovery. And if you're not sleeping well, your levels of anxiety or depression could be altered. Um, you're just not going to be feeling your best self. So I think it's important to, to look at those equally important, right? And I think as runners, like we need, you know, when we talk about specific ones, we need to fuel our body. And you know, there's lots of different dietary patterns out there. I'm, um, I said that we advocate for a plant forward, but you don't have to be. And so it has to be very personalized. And people will ask me about in interviews, like, what do you think about time restricted eating and intermittent fasting? Because it's, you know, it's people are talking about it, right? It's trendy, and there are some benefits. And I've had patients that have done really well with it. And I say I'm transparent. I say, you know what? For myself, it's it's not a good fit because I run at 5:30 in the morning and then I go straight to work. I need to fuel my body a little bit beforehand. I usually have just a little bit of trail mix beforehand just to get something in my system. And then I need to help with recovery. So I need to refuel afterwards. So if the window doesn't start till noon, that's just not going to fit what like day, my lifestyle <laughs> is. Right. So it has to be very personalized right. now. So that's about my, my spiel about the, the pillars of lifestyle medicine, how they all play with each other. I will say, strength training. Mm -hmm. Um, I always have talked about it. And uh, it's not something, and I will be honest, it's not something I really enjoy doing. But I'm in my 50s right now. And that's, you know, menopausal ages where hormones shift. Mm -hmm. And as we age, we have muscle loss. It's called sarcopenia. I grew up as a ballet dancer. I've been a runner. I'm telling you, and I don't mean to be like, I'm not trying to brag, but like I had really defined muscles in my legs, right? So it was Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, I'm a runner and you can see it well, now I'm in my mid fifties and I'm like, where did that muscle go? <laughs> what the heck is happening? My skin is like, I get race photos and I'm like, Oh God, like that's like jiggly skin. <laughs> like, you know, so it's just, okay. So I have made it a point that I do strength training now and it's not a lot. And I do, I really focus on a lot of core stuff. So I've got a whole plank series and core work and I do some upper body and I do like single leg, um, strengthening, um, uh, exercises mm-hmm. and i been sort of religious about this for about six months. It took me a while to get really on a schedule because I would do it for a little bit and then give it up, give it a little bit. And I just ran a half marathon um this past weekend. And you know, I just kinda did it on a whim so I didn't taper for it or anything like that. I just was visiting Connecticut and they had a half marathon. I'm like, I'm gonna do it. And I went out at a you know pace and then I kept checking my watch and I'm like, wow, like I'm holding a pace I didn't think I was capable of holding and I felt strong and I, I said, oh my gosh, I, I think it might be some of the strength training the damn that strength I'm doing. strength training is working. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So I, you know, I knew this intuitively. I prescribe it to my patients to do strength training. It's good for our bone health as well. Um, but. I'm seeing a difference and I, I'm probably never going to get the defined legs that I used to have. That's okay. Right. You know, acceptance is part of this key. So there's, you know, there's a certain amount of acceptance of the aging process and our bodies change. And then also that, you know what, we need to work at it. And I don't necessarily like strength training, but I'm going to do it. And then when I, you know, felt good running, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this core strength that I've been doing is actually paying off. So that, that was a good return on investment. Okay.
1: Well I appreciate you banging that drum that's a that's a drum that I bang fairly often and um it's always nice to have a different voice coming at it from <laughs> this, and, yeah and especially with a uh Wow, I actually noticed that it helped. So thank you for sharing that with yeah. and, and y'all, if you want more yeah. of, of Dr. Melissa's information and motivation and all those types of things on the on the Instagrams at Motivator Melissa and also at the Doctor Outdoors. Um, get outside, get some movement. And if you need some help with that, obviously Dr. Melissa has got you you, got you going on the social media is there. Disruns.com slash eleven ninety-four is the link. Once again, back to the show notes, links to the social media, links to the things we've talked about, all that as per usual. So Melissa, I I mean, goodness, like I said, scratching the surface, feel like there was so much left left untalked about. But again, maybe we'll just save that for another time. But um, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for for sharing some of your your running stories and and certainly some of your your medical wisdom and and, uh, looking forward to um, staying in touch and continue to learn from you. And uh, again, just thank you for the time today. So nothing but the best for you going forward.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. This has been a total blast. And um, I already know that I love your listeners because they're all runners. And if I ever run for political office, which I never, ever will, my platform would be running for world peace because we are a completely diverse group. And you know what? We're really friendly. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. You say hi to everyone. You wave, you smile. And I'm running for world peace.
1: All right, y'all. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Melissa and myself. And as per usual, I'd be curious to know what stood out to you from today's conversation. What was your takeaway de jour, De jour? Um, for me, I mean, there are lots of things, but I, I, I can't kind of stop thinking about the the lifestyle medicine. And, you know, Melissa rattled through uh, the, the list of, you know, the different pillars, right? And then I, I kind of followed up with the question, if you remember, of, you know, which, which of these, you know, outside of, we got the physical activity piece covered because we're running. Uh, a lot of us have the outdoor piece covered because we're running outside, but, but what else is like the next most important one? And honestly, like, I was like, she's going to say sleeping, right? Cause like, that's the most important thing. Getting get enough sleep. And, uh, when she came back with the idea that really they're all kind of important, they all kind of help each other out. They, they all, you know, support each other and build off of each other. And, and any weak link is a weak link. I mean, like I'm, I'm still kind of spinning on that to be quite honest, but it got, you know, as I've been thinking about it and it's continuing to rattle around in my brain a little bit, it's, it, it makes perfect sense because, you know, we, we talk about as us as runners, you know, we, we all love to run how many times we talk about, we we need to strength train too. And, and that's an area that, um, a lot of us, you know, maybe could stand to do a little bit better job at. and, and, you know, but we think, hey, we've got our we've got our, our our health and fitness licked because we're we're running all the time. We're running all these miles, and like that's a piece of health and fitness, of course. But to be well balanced and like to be fully healthy, you got to have strength. You got to have you know the bone the bone strengthening that we get a little bit of that with running, but we get a lot of that by moving heavy things by by doing resistance training, and and it just it just kind of resonated like to be fully healthy from a from an exercise perspective running is great cardiovascular activity is great but we got to do strength training we got to do some mobility work we got there's, there's other aspects that we have to, to to do to be as healthy as possible so then zooming out lifestyle medicine what, is, what are the you know it's not it's not a tick one box and you're good to go right you got to take care of all of the things so it's it's just it was just kind of a little bit of a of a reminder um and again like i said my, my head's still spinning a little bit here in terms of of you got to take care of all the, all the, all the pieces of the puzzle, right? You can't just do a, a little bit, really focus, really hit this one area out of the park, whether we're talking about physical health, whether we're talking about mental health, whether we're talking about, you know, business or family or, or anything. I mean, any area of our lives, there's usually multifacets to it. And if we, if we really neglect two or three facets, but like, ah, you know, we're, we're taking care of these other five, like, I mean, that's, that's not nothing, but Ah. And the more I keep thinking about it and now talking through it, the more I'm like, yeah, there's there's a lot of areas of different parts of my life where I feel like I got a few pieces that you know locked in, running and and just I mean going, going back to Melissa's lifestyle medicine pillars, like I got I feel like I got most of them, but there's a couple, there's a couple that uh I'm really, I don't know, dropping the ball on really, really slacking on really could improve to get up to the same standard as I am with the others. And I need to do that. So that was my takeaway. Just that, just that gentle little nudge when I thought she was going to say sleep, which is maybe one of those areas I could probably stand to improve a little bit. Um, and she, she came at me with uh, no, actually all of them are important. And here's why, because they all kind of need each other. Like, ah, yeah, that was my takeaway. What about you? What stood out to you from today's episode? Uh, if you're willing to share it, of course, I would love to hear it at dis runs on all the socials, whatever, whatever they're called these days, whether it's a bird, whether it's a character, you know, as, as an ex, whether it's uh, uh Instagram or a, a thread or whatever, I'm at Dizruns runs in those places. Feel free to tag me in a post. Let me know what your takeaway was or shoot me a DM there as well. If you want to slide into the proper inbox, you can slide into my, my email inbox at dis at gmail.com. Shoot me an email with your thoughts and takeaways there. And of course, if you want to do it the old fashioned way. Maybe not quite the real, old. if you want to do the old fashioned way and send either a carrier pigeon or a smoke signal, I'll take it. If you want to just head over to the show notes for today, disruns.com slash 1194 is the link that'll get you there. There's that comment section down at the bottom. Of course, there's some photos and some links and all those things as well. But there's that comment section down at the bottom of the page. Feel free to uh, type away to your little heart's content there in the, in the blog post or on the sh- in the show notes for today in that comment section. Um, ultimately, whatever method of sharing works best for you i appreciate love hearing from y'all after any episode that something really resonates something that makes you think a little bit shoot you can leave a post in the in the facebook group we get that every once in a while as well so whatever works best for you works best for me but thanks for the the feedback whenever you send it and uh, hopefully something good from today's episode is, is still rattling around in your brain just like those different pillars of the lifestyle medicine um definitely still rattling around in mine so with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Once again, if you want uh, if you want uh, your own little race day Sherpa, which would be me. If you want me to run with you on your on your next race or, your, or a big goal race, pace you, carry some stuff for you. you know if, you, if it's one of those races where you start off with a sweatshirt, then it gets a little warm and you strip it down. Hey, you don't have to just throw it by the side of the road. I'll just carry it for you. I'm your Sherpa. I'm there to serve you. Uh, but that's what concierge coaching is all about. And, of course, there's some other bells and whistles, like I said earlier. But disruns.com slash concierge is the link. Give it a look. Let me know what you think. And uh, if it's something that you want to do, let's get you started ASAP or ultimately, ultimately, whenever you're ready. You know, if you want to want to wait a little bit, maybe start at the beginning of the year. I'm not here to tell you you can't. You, you have to wait or you can't wait. Um, whatever is right for you, let's make it happen. dizrunscom slash concierge. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, y'all. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for taking Melissa and I with you today. And until next time, y'all, be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later, y'all.